we're gonna continue talking about prayer today. And um, what I wanna talk about today is prayer models. And, and I wanna give us a couple of different frameworks for prayer. Um, if you're like, man, I wish I could remember that. If you download our app, the sermon notes are in the app. And these, all of these, both of these models will be there for you if you wanna look at those. But um, I wanna talk about this. Models, as far as prayer goes, are a bit of a mixed bag. They're a benefit in that they help us to figure out how do we even begin to approach God. Um, and that is okay uh, because it's, it, it helps us stay focused because, I mean, you know how it is. If you don't have a prayer plan, a uh, model of how you want to pray, then it, it can often, you can be very distracted in uh, it, like, you know, God, thanks for today and thanks for the, the food and thanks for all the good things and, and uh, the game last night was great. And man, could you believe the, the one pass that he made? Oh my gosh, and that was so good. And, I, and pretty soon we're like, I'm not praying anymore. I'm praying to my other idol. <laughs> uh, and so what we, what we, prayer models are an advantage in that sense. The downside to a prayer model is that it can kind of fall into the category of lifeless liturgy, where it becomes a model that I have to use for the sake of having a model, and then it just becomes rote and not something that's life-giving. So there's a dance in that. Here's what happens often in our prayer time. And, it, and I'm gonna continue to build as I'm going through this journey uh, in my own prayer life. Uh, I'm gonna continue to build on that because I wanna share with you um, the, the space that the Lord has me in now as opposed to where I was at two months ago, um, which I talked about a couple of weeks ago. And, and uh, I, <laughs> I was in Costco the other day I only had like three things to get. And four different people um, came up to me and were like, that sermon you preached. Oh man, like so real. So, like, and I was like, this is incredibly awkward because we're gonna cry right here together. And um, there's a lot of people around. But, um, but that was, uh, like it was, a, it was kind of a, like we all visit that place. If we may not live there, but we all vacation there at times. That, like, where are you, God? And what I can tell you is where I'm at in my time with the Lord says a lot about how I handle those kinds of moments in my life. And here's the thing you need to know about me. And this is a, this is a spectrum between... Um, really being invested in God's presence and having a transactional time with God. Those are the poles, right? Those are the poles. But there's a, there's, for each one of us, there's a percentage of each one of those things in our time with the Lord. And, and it can be more one way or another at different times in our life. So we have to wrestle with like, where am I at in this space? I have always been disciplined in my time with the Lord. Uh, my, my time with the Lord has been a discipline that I have uh, rigorously held to. And, and it's always been 
um, good? Question mark? Uh, not bad, but not lifeless, right? And, but it's always been kind of in this transactional mode where I will go to the Lord in my time with God and be very um, honest about who he is to me. And, and like, God, you are, you are powerful and you are mighty and you are, and, and you're sovereign and you're over everything and you have control and all, da, 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 all that stuff and mean it. Like, I'm not just trying to play the game. I, I literally mean what I'm saying. Like, yes, God, this is who you are. And because of that, I need you to do this and do this and do this. And God, I, I need you to, I need you to do, to do this. And God, this thing exists and, and you have to intervene in this space. Here's the thing. Whose will is driving that prayer time? Mine is. Here's how. God, I acknowledge who you are, but here's what I need you to do. Not really a whole lot of time about what God wants me to do or how God feels about me or the, you know, the conversational pieces of it. Because for me, uh, the, this, just my personality, and it's the part that I, I am still working on giving over to the Lord to surrender to him. But um, for me, like I'm a doer. So like, give me the assignment and then get out of the way. Um, I will cut a wide swath, even if it's really destructive. But we're gonna, we're gonna do something. We're gonna, it's gonna be amazing. Could be catastrophic, but it's gonna be big. That, that's just like, let's just go, let's do. Let, and, and so for me, my time with the Lord was like this thing that like I do that and I'm disciplined with it and I acknowledge who he is and, I, and I'm not forgetting that as I move throughout the day, but like, God, give me the assignment. Like we have the pregame in the locker room and then the coach turns me loose to go play the game, right? That's a very transactional way to engage God. Kind of a, God, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Then there's this other way to engage God. And as I have been over, especially over the last couple of months, it's kind of like exponentially moved forward. Um, but this has been a journey that the Lord has had me on for a while. It's just really taken some major leaps forward recently. There's this space where hanging out with God is like hanging out with my friends. You know, when I get together with my friends, it's not transactional. When I, when I get together with my friends, it's like we, we laugh and we joke with one another and we tell stories and we make fun of each other, right? And, we, and, and, and in the course of that time together, we, there's always business that's done. Like we have deep conversation and all of that stuff goes on, but the bulk of it is just hanging out and laughing and enjoying and being connected to one another. And I leave that space filled up because I'm connected to these people. And, and because they see me and I see them, like there's this mutuality that fills my bucket, right? It's not transactional. This has been the kind of space that the Lord has invited me into over the last couple of months. And what's happening is there, there's this really interesting transition. Um, disciplined prayer time for me 
led to a transactional kind of praying. When I'm just spending time in God's presence, just hanging out, and he makes fun of me. (laughs) He's like, oh, your plans. They're so cute. He makes fun of me. When when we have that, um, I'm drawn to it. It's not a... It's not a discipline anymore. I'm, I'm drawn like, like I'm created to be a, like, a, like a bug's drawn to a light. Like I, I want, I, I, I'm excited to get up in the morning because what's, what's that time gonna look like? Like what is God gonna say? How am I gonna experience him today? Who knows? But this is kind of new territory for me. Um, and I am, uh, I'm moving the pendulum more towards this focus on his presence. And as I do, I'm more drawn to his presence, which I feel like, like real time with the Lord. If we're created with, uh, Ecclesiastes says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. If that is true, then being in God's presence should draw me towards more of God's presence. Like I long for it. I long for that. Let me tell you how you can know where you're landing in the spectrum on, on the pendulum of transactional versus being driven by his presence. When hard things, this is not going to make me look very good based on the sermon from two weeks ago. When hard things happen in your life, how do you respond to it? because hard things are going to happen, how, how do you respond to it? Do you respond with, God, really, like, what did I do wrong? Why is this happening? What, what, who, where did I miss? How, how is it, what, what, the, all the questions and, the, and the, the distrust and all of that stuff, that comes from a transactional relationship with God. Because I scratched your back, God, and you're not scratching mine. In a presence-driven relationship with the Lord... When bad things happen, I say, oh, Jesus, I need to spend time with you. I need your strength to get through this. I, I, I have to press in. In fact, today uh, is so painful and hard and big, and, and I need so much of you today. I need extra time with you. What I'm finding is I'm drawn to that. I'm thankful when I wake up in the morning and it's too cold to run because then I get extra time with Jesus. Now here's, to be fair, I've run in 16 below just to prove a point. Why do you do that? Because that's what men do. Now it's like, it's 60 degrees outside. I got to spend time with Jesus. I, I, I long for it. Like, and the, it, it's like, uh, there's this awakening of something deeper in my soul that is calling me into this space of just sitting in the presence of God. And where we go, 
wherever the conversation goes, it goes. And yeah, we do work. We do. But, but wherever it goes, it goes. And, and God takes it there. God leads the dance, not my requests or my needs. God leads the dance in the conversation. He's the one that's directing it. Because I'm just offering to him, like, here's, God, here's what I'm grateful for to you. This is where I always begin. We'll talk about this a little bit later, but here's where I begin. You're, God, this is what I'm grateful for. And, um, and then God's like, yeah, here's, and it becomes an ongoing conversation. What's interesting about that is that as I move throughout the day, the ongoing conversation that happens is more uh, vivid. It's, I'm more in tune with God's voice speaking to me throughout the day. Uh, so it's not like this event that happens that I leave. It's this conversation that I have. And then we kind of get up and so I'm sitting at the table and I'm having my cup of coffee, which is like, uh, I love coffee in the morning. Like, I don't know how you people who don't like coffee, like, I don't know how you smile. Um, it's just the way, I, I mean, I know people do it. I just don't know how. Um, but I had this conversation with God in the morning at the table and then I get up and I go up the stairs to get ready and, and for the day and, and I'm continuing the conversation. And then as I'm taking a shower, the Lord always says something um, that's usually where he makes fun of me the most. Um, uh, and then, um, and you know, I'm in the shower, I'm talking, and then as I'm getting ready, brushing my teeth or whatever, like, like God's, this is an ongoing, it's this ongoing conversation with him. And, and it happened, like as I'm on my way to work, I'm talking to him. And then when I get to work, I'm, I'm talking to him. And this is this ongoing conversation with God. This is how it happens when we spend time in just in his presence and we let him lead the dance rather than our needs, our wants, our desires. So I say all that to say prayer models are helpful, but they can create a very transactional approach to prayer. So I want to say before I say anything else, there's not a wrong way to pray. Talking to the Lord is always good. There are some ways that help maximize that time so that we can experience God's presence, be aware of it, and be able to lay our hearts before God in a way that brings honor and glory to him. So I want to work through this. Uh, Matthew 6, Jesus says this, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. When we pray, the goal of our prayer isn't for people to look at us and go, man, you know how to pray. And, and what's always fascinating to me is, um, so I grew up in church. My, my dad is a pastor and I grew up in church like I, I, by, between the age of birth and 18, I promise you I miss less than five Sundays. Like church was, we went to church. And if I didn't have a fever of 102 or higher, I went to church. You know, in today's world, if you have the sniffles, you stay home, but it was not the world I grew up in, right? You went to church, that's where, that is where we're going and that's the way it is. And so I've seen a lot of church uh, and all the goods and the bads of it. It wasn't all bad, it, it, but all the good. And, and there were some things that as a kid, I would look at and go, I don't understand that. One of the things that I never understood is that when somebody got up to lead the congregation in prayer, there was, 
there was some new language that took root. Like now all of a sudden I speak King James. As if, and, and, and again, like I don't know, I don't know if that was how they were taught. I don't know if that, like you can't pray any other way. Like this is reverence for God or, or what it was, but it felt to me very inauthentic. It felt to me as if you're trying to prove to me that you know how to talk to God, which intimidated me because in my conversations with God, I was just like, God, I'm kind of messed up. Like it was never pretty or flowery or it was never any of those things. And so for, it, it, for those of us that are newer to our faith or newer in trying to explore prayer, it can be really intimidating it can be really intimidating to try to pray in public when you pray with somebody that is full of the yea verily. Uh, you know, I don't know how else to say that, but this is what Jesus is kind of getting at. Now, to be sure, I'm not judging whether that person was trying to honor the Lord and thought that that's how they had to do it or whether or not they were trying to be heard by people as if they were more spiritual, they knew how to pray. But what Jesus says is don't do that. That... Don't pray so that you can be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. There's so much I want to say about this. Because we're not good with silence. And so when we run out of things to say in prayer, we try to fill it with phrases. Whatever your prayer phrases are. We all have them. The problem is those silent spaces, that's where God begins to speak. So if we're scared of silence, it's like God is like, but what to do? And then we get up and leave and God's like, man, I had some really amazing things to share with you, but you wouldn't li listen. Like you just, what? Don't heap up empty phrases, sit in it. Let the conversation work. For they think that they'll be heard for their many words, not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now that's not an excuse to say, well, then why bother asking him for things? That's a, you don't need to do the proper incantation to get God to do what you want him to do. What you need to do is sit in God's presence and let him transform your heart into his heart. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, a couple of interesting details about this, and I've preached about this passage a couple of times since I've been here, so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time dissecting it, but a um, couple of things. Number one, 
Jesus says, this is how you should pray. And then we have lots of recorded prayers of Jesus and the apostles after that. None of them ever pray like that. Like they, none of them ever use that prayer. And, and again, what happens is when we say, this is how you should pray, what we're, what we're in danger of is making it a liturgy, making it like a, and liturgy is not evil. It's just that over time, it has a tendency to become lifeless. And we, when we feel like liturgy is inspired, liturgy is not inspired. It's helpful, but it's not inspired. And so we can run into this danger of making it like, no, you can only pray. And so we recite the Lord's Prayer because then we feel like we've garnered God's attention. Listen to me. God is fully attentive to you. He's fully attentive to you. Most of us just aren't dialed in enough. And, I, and I'm speaking to myself here. I, I, there have been long seasons in my life where I wasn't dialed in enough to see it. And that didn't mean I went off the deep end and did crazy things or nothing. It just meant that God was pulling me into this deeper sense of his presence and I wasn't going there. So that's the first observation. Second observation that I would make in this is that Jesus says this big, long thing, but then the thing that he camps on is forgiveness. That's the part that when he's done sharing the prayer, he's like, because when you forgive, like he comes in and he like, forgive, like forgiveness of people is a really centrally connected to our capacity to be able to hear and grow from the Lord. Uh, it's just true. And, and I know... Um, I'm not saying, so you better walk out of here having forgiven everybody. I'm just saying, whatever it takes, we got to do the hard work of forgiveness in our life. We have to. Um, that's just a key catalyst in us being able to hear God's voice in our life. So there's some pieces to this. I'm going to give you four. Many of you guys are familiar with Daniel Henderson. He was my coach last year. Um, we hired him to help me uh, as a pastor to grow and to help our church kind of transition into this uh, being more driven by prayer. And um, he wrote, uh, he's written several books. Um, Old Paths, New Powers, fantastic. Transforming Prayers. But this is his um, attempt to break down the Lord's Prayer in an understandable way. And it's a way for us to facilitate corporate prayer. So when you come tonight for prayer and worship night, um, this is the format that we use. You'll experience this format. The, the first piece is reverence. We're asking the question, who is God? And we need to acknowledge that. Not only acknowledge who he is, but acknowledge our own gratitude for that fact. Second piece is response. Because of this reality, I'll do something. So think about this. A father in heaven, hallowed be your name, reverence. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's my response. As you show up, I will make this place more like heaven. Then we have requests. God, God, this is what I need from you. Give us today the bread of today. That's what it says in the Hebrew. And then the readiness. I'm out of that. I'm committed to do something. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is this general breakdown. Now there's lots of other ways to do it. But regardless of the prayer model that you have used or heard about all without really many exceptions they almost all revolve around beginning with this idea of acknowledging God's character and our gratitude for it what's interesting is in Acts chapter 4 uh, we see the early church begin to pray together so Peter and John are arrested and they tell him you can't teach about Jesus and they say 
You decide who it's better for us to serve. You who can take our body or God who can take our soul, but we can't help but teach about what we have both seen and heard. And then they're like, well, we don't know what to do with you, so shut up and leave. Um, So they return home, or they return back to the group and they find the, the group of their house church all together. And it says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, reverence, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand your, and your plan had predestined to take place. That's readiness. Or excuse me, that's response. In response to God's sovereignty, we do what we've been predestined to do. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, requests. While you stretch out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Readiness. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So this is one way to do prayer. It, it's helpful. Um, it works. It's helpful. Um, but there's some obstacles that we face in prayer. Uh, and, and so this is important. Luke 10 says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, put Jesus to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him in a very rabbinic way, you, you don't answer a question with an answer in the Jewish world. You answer a question with a better question. Because the goal for them isn't to get to the right answer. The goal for them is to get to the right question, which we, well, that's crazy. No, it creates wrestling and tension and relationship. He said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly, do it, and you will live. Like he's like, man, you got you got the, the the right answers here. Now actually live it out. And that's the trick, isn't it? One of our obstacles in prayer is that while we might know the right things to do, we're just not doing them. We're choosing, although we acknowledge the truth, we're choosing to live our own way. And, and Listen, you have free moral agency. You can choose that. Just know that that reality is going to get in the way of you being able to hear from God. So if you're like, I don't hear God, it might be good to at least take a look at how am I doing at walking out my faith? That may be an obstacle that you need to find. Here's another obstacle that we find. Um, Sometimes we come to to God, to our time, really emotionally keyed up right? Like we're really emotionally keyed up, um, stressed, angry, desperate. Like we we're, we're just messed up emotionally. And so we come to God messed up emotionally. 
Um, your right side of your brain, there's a lot of emotions that we feel, but your right side of your brain has kind of six major default negative emotions. All of those words are important. Six major default negative emotions. Now there's more emotions and there's more negative emotions, but these are the six that we kind of default to. And, and the way that the right brain works is it scans a crowd or a room or an environment six times a second to decide which of these negative emotions, if any, do I need to tie into, which is faster than conscious thought. So the goal of, for us isn't to avoid experiencing these emotions. The goal of, for us is to figure out what do we do with them, okay? So here's what it looks like. They get all jumbled up. Anger, fear, disgust, despair, sadness, and shame. These are our, our six big ones. And, and we've, we can come to God when we have one that's out of, out of sequence, it's out of whack, then, then it all gets messed up in our head. And, and what happens is when we're in that space, it's really, really hard for us to hear from God. So we can go in and, and we can pour it out to God, but it's really hard to hear back from him because our brain is out of whack. It's disjointed. What our goal should be is this, next diagram. What we need to do is to orient all of those things around joy. Joy is like a super emotion. It's like you're fundamentally created to experience joy and we experience joy when we're looking in the face of Jesus. That's not the only place that we experience joy, but we experience joy when we're looking in the face of Jesus. So the way, the way to reorient these things is to take a minute and stop focusing on the thing that we're so keyed up about. This is important. Stop focusing on the thing that we're so keyed up about and begin with gratitude. God, today I'm thankful it doesn't have to be anything huge. It doesn't have to be anything huge. By the way, when we do this regularly, what we do is we actually increase the threshold in our brain to withstand these issues that are causing our brain to get wonky. But we got to start with gratitude. It, it can be the cup of coffee. God, I'm so thankful for like this. This is the wondrous sweet nectar of the gods. Like, sent from heaven above, like, it could, like, there are some mornings where I'm journaling my gratitude and, and it's some, you know, it's bigger stuff. Like, um, I'm thankful for my wife and this thing that she did yesterday to me that just meant so much. Or I'm really thankful for my kids and how they're becoming adults and the way that they're processing the world. And I'm just really proud to be a part of their journey. And, and God, for yesterday, when you allowed me to have that conversation with that person that meant so much to both of us, man, I'm so grateful for that. It can be that, those are bigs. It could also be the other morning I was sitting there journaling and I looked across the room and uh, we have a golden retriever and a border collie. And our golden retriever is like a lumbering buffalo. Um, she's just... So she was laying on the couch, kind of all spread out, you know, like... She, I was like, oh, you're such a lady. Uh, I, was, I was like, God, I'm just thankful for that dog. Like, she just brings a lot of joy 
in our home. It can be simple things like that. It doesn't have to be huge. It can be, it certainly can be, or like a memory that I had. I mean, God, I remember when I was, when I was eight and I had that coach that said they believed in me and, and I remember how much that meant to me. And God, I'm really thankful for moments like that. Like it doesn't have to be something so huge because we're just talking, right? It's just, we're just hanging out. And whatever God lays on your brain, say, say it. Like, this is what I'm thankful for. What that does is it reorients these six big negative emotions so that we can properly process the information that's going and coming out of our brain. And so that allows us then to tune back in, but we do that when we experience joy. So we start with gratitude, right? We have to start with gratitude, so with that in mind, if you're in a space where you find yourself kind of emotionally disjointed and you need to go to the Lord and talk to him about it, okay? But you're like, I, I don't wanna not hear him. I wanna give you another model for prayer. And this is something that I use often. Uh, it's really been transformational in my life and, um, and I love it. And it's called Emmanuel Journey. And Emmanuel is God with us. Right? It's a manual journaling. So it's going to be journaling. You're like, I don't like journaling. Well, if this was your problem, you could get over it. Like the, <laughs> Try it. Try it. See how it works for you. Okay? See how it works for you. It has seven pieces to it. It begins step one. And by the way, if you're like, I, I got to get these down, I'm going to try it. In your, if you download our app, you can get the notes and this will be in the notes. It'll be in the sermon notes on the app. So you don't have to do that. It'll all be there for you. Number one is gratitude. So we begin with this. Dear God, I'm thankful for. Whatever you're thankful for. And it doesn't have to be a whole page. It can be two, three sentences. It can be a paragraph. It can be, God, I'm thankful. Like you don't have to sit there for an hour with it and cook stuff up. What are you grateful for? Like I'm, I love that dog. She, um, there, there are times, there are times that as I'm doing my gratitude piece, that God will bring to my mind somebody that I'm particularly like. Man, yeah, I love that friendship, and so that's my cue. And when I'm done with my time with the Lord, I'm going to text him and say, "Hey, today you made it into my gratitude time, and I just want you to know I'm very thankful for you." That happens all the time. It can be any number of things, but what am I grateful for? And then in response to that, the next piece is, dear child of mine, and you journal, what's God's response to your gratitude? What's God saying to you about your gratitude? And, and here's the thing. If you're like, I don't know if it's God or if it's me, just write it. Because what you're doing is you're sinking your, your mutual mind connecting with God. This is actually a real thing that happens. So if you, I don't know if it's God or it's me. It's both. There's a lot of you in it and there's a lot of God in it. Now, that doesn't mean that we're gonna make major life decisions this way only. But here's the thing, if you have something going on in your life, Jesus probably wants to talk to you about it. So we ought to be able to listen. Like we ought to be able to listen to that. So what's God's response to your gratitude? Not to any issues going on. What's God's response to your gratitude? How does God feel about the things that you're grateful for? Just journal it. What will happen is 
over time, you will learn to discern what's God's voice and what's your own voice. So don't be afraid of it. You get it wrong. It's okay, but keep practicing. You'll learn. You'll get it figured out. Number two, and this is God talking to you. I can see you. From God's perspective, what does he observe in you right now? By the way, this is very intentional in the way that this is brought, and it's consistent with Exodus 6, and I didn't have time to break it down, but this will, the way information moves through your brain is that it starts in the back of the right side of the brain, and it moves forward to the prefrontal cortex, and there's all these blocks along the way that, that they're there to protect you, but unfortunately, what happens in our life is we get wounds that make those protection gates um, not function properly. And so what we have to do is make sure that we're opening each one of those gates. And these, this process very intentionally moves from the back or the right side of your brain to the front. And then it crosses over to the left and then goes down the back from front to back on the left side and then down the spine and into the body. That's how information moves in your internal world, right? So what this prayer process does is it takes, <laughs> like God designed us intentionally. It's weird. It takes information and we start with gratitude and then we move to the front of the brain on the right side so that we can actually hear God's voice. I can see you from God's perspective, what does he observe in you right now? And pay attention to what's happening in your body as you're journaling that. Number three, I can hear you. From God's perspective, what does he hear you saying to yourself? And this is one of those internal worlds where if you're, if you're particularly self-critical, this is a good space to spend some time. God hears me saying, I'm not, I, I was doing this one time. I'm not even joking you. I was doing this one time and I, and I was really getting frustrated with my, at the, how negatively I talked to myself. And I got this picture. I don't know if it was a vision or if it was just kind of me thinking, but I got this picture of Jesus walking up behind me and opening up my head. My brain was sitting there. And every time one of those thoughts would come by, he would grab it and throw it and go, nope, nope. I was like, that's pretty good. That's not true. What I'm thinking about myself is not true. From God's perspective, what does he hear you saying about yourself? Number four, I understand how big this is for you. How does God see your dreams and blessings? These things, these things that you want to step into. Or how does God see your upsets and troubles? How does God see the big hurtful things in your life? How does he see that? Does he understand how big this is for you? The, the answer to that question is yes, he does. But I need, I need to wrestle with the fact that I need to know that he knows. Number five, I'm glad to be with you and treat your weakness tenderly. How does God express his desire to participate in your life? Maybe God's like, I'm gonna come in and deal with this. Maybe God's like, I'm gonna strengthen you up under it. We're gonna have to walk through this, but we're gonna do it together. Number six, I can do something about what you're going through. What does God give you for this time? Number seven, read what you've written aloud, preferably to someone. Now, this is important. Don't give any context or explanation for what you have. Just share it with someone. 
And the reason is because as soon as you start trying to give context to it, you pull it into the left side of the brain and that's not where we want to go. We want to stay in that right side of the brain. Just share it with somebody and share it with somebody that you know will receive it well. Now, here's the piece of that. If you're going to start practicing this in your home, and I would recommend that you do, um, the brain isn't looking for solutions. It's looking for validation. And that's important because this, this is one of those things, uh, wives, when you share your heart with your husband, what does he automatically do? He tries to fix it, right? <laughs> First service, I had somebody sit in the front row, they're like, fix it. I was like, wow. <laughs> Emotional injury? Um, free counseling. Um, so that, like, that it's, this, it's like it's understood, right? When a woman shares her heart and, and the guy immediately jumps to solution and it doesn't work. Here's, and the guy's like, but I'm helping you. N no, because the brain isn't looking for solutions. The brain's looking for validation. By the way, it's true of the male brain too. It just happens to show up in relationships that way often. So um, how do we do that? Well, we have to validate the space that they're in. So when somebody's sharing this with you, I see you, I hear you, uh, I can do something about this, all these different pieces, um, the validation piece is like, wow, that's, that's really big. That's really hard, or that's really amazing. Or, you know, the, man, that, I, I can't imagine being in that space and then, and then in that process of val men do this, do this. I'll give you an easy tool, VCR. Validate when your wife shares something. Validate it. You'd be like, that's not a big deal. It doesn't matter if it's a big deal to you. It's a big deal to her. That's why Peter says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Because what matters to her matters. Even if, it's, even if I'm not smart enough for it to matter to me validate it. Man, that's, wow, that's, that's difficult. Then offer comfort. Like, man, I, I, I can't take that from you, but I'm really thankful to be able to be in this space with you. Thank you for trusting me enough to share that. What that does is it remaps her brain. It can't, she, the brain can't help it, it just does it. What we do is we start to then reorient those big emotions, we reorient them back to joy and we raise the threshold to be able to endure it. So when your wife shares from her heart, validate and comfort her. Validate and comfort, validate and comfort. So wives, this is a new practice for your husband. So when he blows it, don't get mad at him. Just say, hey, validate and comfort. Validate and comfort. And he'll be like, I don't know how. Practice practice. We do this in our time with the Lord. We start to get really good at it. We start to get really good at it. I got to quit. Let me give you some implications. Prayer should start with some awareness of who God is. That's where your prayer time should begin. It doesn't have to stay there, but it does need to probably begin there. And we should express our gratitude for it. Implication number two. We need to spend time seeking God's face before we seek his hands. Like before you ever ask the Lord to do anything for you, just hang out with him. What we'll find is 
that God is far more present throughout the day, all day, than we realized. Implication number three, setting our mind right is important before we approach prayer if we want to hear God speak. So if you come to God in that emotionally keyed up wonky space, start with gratitude. Start with gratitude. It will reset your brain and reorient your capacity to hear God speak. Implication number four, God hears us. He listens to us. He cares about our concerns. And that's especially true when we don't understand what he's up to. It's especially true when we don't understand what he's up to. Because he knows, he knows that we're going to need extra measure of his attention when we're in a space where he's working something that we don't understand. So we're going to take communion together and, and here's, we do this every week, like at the core of our faith is this moment of Jesus, Jesus's death, burial and resurrection that this represents. And I would just offer a couple of thoughts in regards to prayer as we get our hearts ready. Like Jesus died, laid his life down for you and I so that we could have access to a conversation with God. Like that feels like kind of a big thing to take for granted, to not take seriously. It feels like kind of a really important thing. And so where, where in your life have you allowed circumstances or faulty belief systems or wrong ways? Where has your prayer time become transactional and lifeless? Or maybe just... I'm not doing it. Like, I I believe in God and I'll try to live the best I can, but I'm not tying into him and his presence and his power at all. That's a denial of what communion represents. What does God want us to do in response? That if I can get access to his presence, but I haven't been, I've been neglecting it, I've been avoiding it, How does God want you to respond as we get our hearts ready to take communion together? Let's talk with him. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. Let's remember him together. And then in the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, this is the blood of the covenant, which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, I am unbelievably moved by your gentleness and kindness and goodness. The the power and awe and reverence that you possess 
that, that you intentionally laid down so that you can have conversations with us. I'm just astounded. Why, why am I worthy of that kind of sacrifice on your part and yet daily you meet me? Right where I am. God, would you stir in our hearts a, a capacity to pursue more of your presence? In Jesus' name, amen.